And we're live, streaming from the footsteps of New York City. We are Music Matters with Jason Tram, and we're delighted that you can join us for our unique podcast community, where we explore the issues and challenges of the musical world as seen through the eyes of distinguished colleagues. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and smash that bell icon for the most up-to-date information on upcoming guests and topics. We'd really appreciate if you'd like and share our videos on social media. We're a growing community, and it's so wonderful to have new people join us. And uh, please remember to chat. Use the chat feature in the stream to join in the conversation and ask questions of the artists. We love that. And uh, the more people that join, and the more rich the conversation becomes. You can also join our email list at www.jasontram.net, where you can also see our 108 past episodes. This is our 109th episode and um, you can see our complete catalog of upcoming guests too we've got guests from our uh, stars at the metropolitan opera we've got concerto solos we have leading indie rock bands we have uh, rap acts we have really cross-section of the music industry which is very exciting and uh, i've learned so much from my colleagues across the spectrum of musicians and i hope that you enjoy it we have a wonderful indie rock band represented tonight, the Happy Curmudgeons. And we have Dave Hamilton and Amy Dixon-Lavery joining us today. A Dixon-Lavery dynamic duo, and we're delighted they can join us. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Where are you calling in from tonight? Uh, we're calling in just north of Detroit, uh, a smaller community, Grand Blank, Michigan. Welcome from Michigan. It's always great to have Michiganders on the show. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And and uh, I've really gotten to love getting to know your music. It's been a, sh a beautiful shot of fresh air. Um, such great musicianship represented in these songs and really deep. And uh, I'm just really excited to have you here. And congratulations on the audience you've been building all across social media and on YouTube and Spotify. Very exciting. Thank you very much. So when did the band form? And tell us about the name, The Happy Curmudgeons. Well, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I had worked as a studio musician and uh, a producer had approached me and just said, do you have any original work? And I said, yes, I do. And I had uh, worked with a uh, life, lifelong friend, his name is uh, Stu Cameron. And uh, we were actually looking at uh, putting some uh, other songs together. Stu and I played in a band in high school and continued to write and my last name starting with an H and his started with a C. And we were trying to come up with a name. And he said, I don't know what we're going to call this project. He goes, we're both old now. We're not good looking anymore. He goes, we're going to have to Millie Vanilli this thing. He goes, you're going to have to play behind a, an amplifier. And I said, well, thanks for that encouragement. And he goes, seriously, who is going to come out to see two happy curmudgeons like us? And I went, that's it. That's the name. And he goes, that's horrible. That's stupid. Don't do that. And I went, now I'm definitely doing it. And I said, when you said no, that you sealed it. And literally, that's where it came from. So we stuck with that and ran with it. And I did anyway. And uh, we started the project uh, August 1st of uh, 2015 was our first day in the studio where we went to work for our first album meant to be. And what's it like when uh, you start to come together and gelling and getting to know the artists? And has the membership changed in the band? Uh, it's it's kind of diverse. Uh, we we have a core four: Amy and myself, um, a friend of mine uh, that I've known since high school, uh, Jeff Warner, fabulous musician, great guitar player, excellent vocalist, uh, which uh, the audience will be hearing some of his work later. And of course, our harmonica player, Tumbleweed. So, and that's just what he goes by, Tumbleweed. Love it. That's the core four. And we're lucky enough that we can pull from a talent rich group in Metro Detroit. And our producer is actually a part of the band as well. His name's Mark Byerly. Um, people would be familiar with him. He's the trumpet player for the Bob Seeger band. And uh, he's also played with. Uh, other greats such as Carlos Santana and Justin Timberlake. That's some rock and roll royalty right there. Amazing. And, and yeah, just from that, it, we've uh, been able to piece together as far as what what I started with uh, meant to be was mainly those songs were things that I had written. Um, I did have some help co-writing everything, but I was more of a major hand on all the tracks 
that went into that album, where on this new album that we're working on, Second Chances, our second album, it's nice where everybody else has had more of a role, including Amy, with that first track you just heard, Second Chances. And that first track has been blowing up on the social media and Spotify and YouTube. And uh, congratulations, really a, a wonderful song. It's been playing around my house and my mother, who's 79, loved it. My son, who's 21, loved it. And I'm 46, loved it as well. So crossing those uh, that generational divide. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Amy, tell me about your journey as an artist. And uh did you always know you wanted to be a musician? I'll take you both through it. I'm curious to hear how both of you, your journeys have intersected before and during the, the forming of the band. Um, yeah, I, ever since I was a kid, you know, I always loved music. Um, started with sitting next to my brother on the piano bench while he played songs. You know, he could play anything by ear. And, you know, he got me into listening to Beatles and Stones and, I grew up with my parents listening to only country and bluegrass and, you know, from there kind of formed my own, you know, view on music and what I wanted to do. I've always been involved in uh, choir and chorale in high school. And um, so I always knew I wanted to do something with, with singing music. And uh, the, did you write the lyrics on Second Chances? Yes, uh, we, we wrote it together. Um, he had a, an idea, you know, the melody, and I heard it, and kind of just some things came together, and we just kind of worked on it together. And I'm always fascinated what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the, the well, lyrics or the music, and how they fit together, and, and how the combination changes as you kind of flesh it out and as it becomes uh, it becomes organic. Tell us about the process of the, on Second Chances. Well, the big thing with that, again, was we, we had come up with what we were going to do acoustically with it and had that pretty much worked out where it was the three of us, uh, myself and Amy and, and Jeff, uh, which turned out to be the guitar lead that you can hear in the song. Uh, Mark, actually, Mark Riley, our producer, was the one that had even further vision as far as adding the strings to the song that I think uh, really brings a breath of fresh air into uh building that crescendo uh you know it takes a while for that song to build to where it where it does and i mean it's still a mellow tune i love it and uh it, a lot of music's missing that arc that that kind of that uh, that building arc you're not afraid to start slow low the cello comes in it's a really nice color as it comes in and then as it builds you got the, the backing vocals and everything just kind of hits at once it's really a great um i think that's i was telling my i always talk about contrast so music today a lot of it lacks contrast and that's really like an essential element of making a great tune well and and, and it her line that that still permeates for me is that if I could fly all the way to Saturn, I would float between the rings. I love that line. And that artwork that is on the CD cover, and if people go to YouTube and when they see that, uh, that's actually from Don Campo. He's a, a DJ out in California that played our music. And when I played this song for him, I, I saw the artwork and just that image of Saturn. And he said, I, I'd love it if you'd use it. Just take it, no charge. And wow. it was perfect for what we were doing. And then uh, Mark was able to blend in uh, the backing vocalists. All three backing vocalists on there uh, were people that had performed with, with Mark in studio and with Bob Seeger. And uh, you hear the B3 organ in there, which I absolutely love. That's Jim Moose Brown from the Seeger band as well. Uh, Mark's adding some extra keyboards, but uh, Jeff Warner's on guitar and Takashi Ayo, a Detroit winning uh, uh, music award winner, he uh, was able to add the bass there. And we have Rick Beeman on drums. And it's one of those things that just culminated in, in a perfect storm and, and it got to the point that it did. And we did win a, a Wham Award, a WAM Wham Award on uh, uh, last year with it for best song for Americana folk as well. What does WAM stand for? That's incredible. Uh, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> I'll look it up. I knew it. It has to do with independent artists. I know that. 
But uh, Amy's actually been featured now as far as uh, women in indie rock. She's fantastic. Top 10 new voices to listen to. Um, and I know they're, they're going to be uh, extremely pleased that I forgot. What <laughs> I'll put it in the description. That's no worries. You won't be surprised that I did that as well. So, as Amy, I'll tell you one of my little caveats. We'll get on stage and I'll forget my own lyrics that I've written and I make stuff up. So. Because uh, I'm the music director at Ocean Grove, and we have a, a 6,500 seat, basically large church. But we've had a lot of great artists like uh, like uh, Smokey Robinson would come through, and Aretha Franklin would play wow. there, and Tony Bennett would play there. And I saw Kenny Rogers forget his lyrics to The Gambler. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> and they're in front of them. I mean, they're right there on the on the prompter. <laughs> You know what I would just give him the thumbs up, Kenny. I understand where you're coming from, so we I, get it. He's a great artist, so he's fine with me. <laughs> exactly. I'm just happy that it's live and it's not pro tooled. <laughs> you know, and that's just it. And and you know, the amazing thing what I want to throw out too for the uh, listeners tonight too, when you hear Second Chances, that's her doing that. There's no auto tune, and she did that all in one take. Oh that's wow! Cool. Yeah. Oh, Michael fantastic. Aren't quite the same. <laughs> That's that background in choir. I'm a choir director, and I'm very happy. It teaches you skills. You have to listen. You've got And listening, just listening to your colleagues and reacting and making music in the moment. I mean, uh, more and more, we, we everything's pre-recorded. Everything is Velveeta processed, and it lacks the actual human touch to it. And, and that's, that's what I think is important for us if, when you listen to our catalog, what we have out already. The best part about having all these individuals be part of the project, and my blueprint has kind of been from Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, how they did Steely Dan. Same thing. Get the best people you can to surround you and let their influence and their genius shine through. And don't be afraid to uh, take some advice and listen to somebody else. Because, you know, you always have an idea of where you think it's going to go. But by the time you get to the end, you're like, wow, that took a couple of turns. That's different. And you're happy with the result. That's amazing. So, Dave, tell us about your journey as an artist. And uh, I know you have a, a fascinating double life. So I look forward to telling that to the audience. Well, I, uh, I started off at uh, the Ohio State University. And I uh, ended up going to Miami of Ohio just north of uh, Cincinnati. And I majored in pre-medicine and I minored in music. And uh, the best part about uh, getting into the music program wasn't just the blase part of musical theory, which we all know, but I, they had an electronic uh, music program at that time where you, know, you started with uh, um, an intricate part, uh, which would be like John Cage but it was really interesting. One of our guest lectures that they brought in was Laurie Anderson. And uh, the, the, the strange thing there was, is that uh, while I was at Miami, I ended up talking to her future husband, Lou Reed, uh, after a musical competition. And uh, we finished in the top four competition with 89 other bands. And Lou had to tell me that I wasn't moving on. And uh, part of it was hearing that uh, said the other judges didn't feel my vocals were that strong. And he said, you know, the perseverance that you need is that you're a great songwriter, in my opinion. And he said, but you can get way better, but you've got to find your audience because that's what we did with the underground. And he said, so you're always going to hear, you don't measure up, this doesn't work. He goes, do you love making music? Don't quit. That's all I can tell you. And that meant a lot to me, especially with Lou and, and meeting my other friends that didn't appreciate Lou because of his vocal styling, to me, it just made him more endearing. And when you read his lyrics, you can see the genius. In There's art. a grittiness and a rawness that is so beautiful in his art. It's life. It's life. He brings life to people. Might not be the most beautiful side of things, but he brings a story that's poignant uh, that a lot of people might not see. And, uh, I was able to meet him while I was at Miami. I got to meet Neil Young, a fabulous songwriter and an individual that could have just gone on with his day, but but took 20 minutes out of his day to talk to me and wanted to know what I wanted to do. And that uh, 
that, those were two of the most influential people at that time back in the late 80s and then early 90s that kept me going even in a, in a session uh, sense to where uh, I've never put down the guitar since I was 12. So, and I've kept playing and culminated in what we have done so far with Abby Kamakis. Wow. Now, how about the other side of your life? Uh, when you're not doing music, what do you do? Well, I uh, that took another side step too. I went from uh, pre-medicine. I was I was put on a waiting list at medical school, and uh, I applied to Ohio State in a school in Michigan, Ferris State. And uh, Ohio State wanted me to take more calculus, and I said no. So uh, that's how I ended up in Michigan, and uh, I went to Ferris State, and I'm now a, a pharmacist and. Uh, dealing with the COVID crisis and uh, working at a pharmacy that deals with uh, 70 nursing homes and multiple patients, obviously. So uh, it's kept me busy. I've worked all the way through the uh, pandemic so far. And how do you balance those two uh, very different lifestyles? Like, how do you balance the music making part of your life, which obviously is always going to be there and is obviously very important with the, um, with the, the pharmacist life? Well, it's been, uh, as far as the pharmacy, I, I, I'm there usually uh, roughly about 30 hours a week. So uh, I do have downtime during the week, which is great because I'm able to play with some of these other musicians. And having a producer that has a flexible schedule is huge. But we've had to really learn a different way uh, to uh, do things in studio, obviously with uh, that social distance and what we're doing and you can just bring your own microphones or cleaning the ones that are there and staying so far away. But we have older older musicians with us. Uh, matter of fact, we have Bobby Balderrama from Question Mark and Mysterians that's going to be on, a, uh, on one of the songs for the next album. And he's in his 70s and we can't take any chances with, with him coming down with this virus. So what we've been able to do is basically go into the studio, I'll re record a foundation, and then everybody kind of plays their part. So we are doing it more as a uh, Steely Dan thing where we're layering the tracks. Um, it, it doesn't give you the spontaneity of playing together and getting that live response, but that's just it. It's the excitement of being able to get back to that point where we can be in front of an audience. Um, I just know if we can make this work in the studio, I, I can't wait till we can all get together and actually play these songs on stage for the first time and do a set together. When was the last time you played a live show? September? Yeah, yeah it was just the three, it was Amy, myself, and Tumbleweed. Um, we had a uh, um, acquaintance of ours that opened a, a new venue and he had an outdoor setting and we played in Flint, uh, notorious for the water crisis and uh, um, it was a great night. We played over Labor Day and uh, but that was a little over an hour set and that's the last time we were able to play live and we actually were able to play some of the songs that are going to be on this new album. So we were able to at least debut some of those but uh, that's the last time we were out playing live. So before you recorded your first album, how long had the band played together and like how many concerts have you done and how does that shape what happens in the studio? Well, I'm, I couldn't tell you how many shows offhand. I mean, we, with us being largely studio musicians, it's not that we get a chance to really grind out shows. Um, we have two individuals that play with us then two, as I mentioned, Jeff Warner, who came in at the beginning of this program, but he has a, uh, a constituent of his, uh, Vaughn Mortimer, who's an excellent musician in his own. They play in a bluegrass band called The Outfit. And uh, for people in the Flint area, they'll know them. They're, they're a house band at, uh, at a bar called Churchill's. And uh, going back to when I played in the 80s, even Churchill's was a big found as far as the local music scene back then. Uh, and those guys, Matter of fact, if you're in the area, go catch them tomorrow. They're finally able to get back and, and do some playing. So they'll be back at it 
That's exciting that there's live music starting to bubble up, especially in uh, uh, I'm New York, New Jersey, and that's been really hard hit, and so is Michigan. So we're looking forward to things opening back up again. Yeah, exactly. And like those guys, they were able to go down to Otis Supply, which uh, a lot of people might know about. I know some of the, some of the deadheads out there, Dave Gans has played down there, and, and so has Melvin Seals. They were able to do remote shows, and they outfit that down there. And... Um, we would actually had, had talked and about approaching them at that same level. Um, they did a fantastic job with uh, uh, live webcasting to where people could still play during the pandemic and, and you could get an audience that could see you. Well, it's certainly kept our communities together and our fans together and uh, and given us, um, because I, I can't tell everyone that, that it's not only the live, um, the connection, it's the um, we need music more than ever. And it's taken, been basically taken away. So at least the, the digital platforms have been a chance for us to keep our communities there. Well, and I think that's been a big thing for us too, though, is the streaming side of things. There's people, because they didn't have things to do, uh, and where we were able to throw some of our advertising money in certain areas and just get our name out, uh, where it went from me trying to get on Spotify lists to where people were asking us to be on their list. And that was a difference. And, you know, starting to build, basically build from that ground up, especially on those kind of platforms. But, uh, you know, I, I was amazed at how many comments we started getting just in our our uh, uh, email box as far as band at gmail.com there's my plug and uh it, it it really helped and uh and it was really interesting and i knew we were starting to connect uh, i had a uh, uh an audience member that mentioned idle time and how much it meant to her during this time that she had a friend that committed suicide mm. and uh really an emotional email and uh, not why I wrote the song, but she connected with it. And that's what was important. I know everybody con connects to a song differently, but it meant something to her. And uh, that's where I knew, you know, we could connect with an audience on that visceral level. And it meant a lot to me. What does it mean to be an indie band today? Um, I mean, it's um, there's never been, I think, a better time to get your music out there using social media, using the power of the Internet uh, to tell your story, to share your art. What does that mean to you to be an indie band today? Both of you. Um, I, I guess it's kind of two sided. Um, there are so many out there now that <laughs> you can get a little bit lost in, in, in the just number of how many bands there are out there. But um, on the other side, you know, like I said, we have the social media, we have YouTube, you know, um, all these great ways to get your music out there. And, you know, if people are looking for new music, it, it's out there, you know, people are going to find you um, if you're putting out good music and, you know, something that means something to you, somebody else is going to find it and just yeah. getting to meet you on the phone in our brief time, um, there's an honesty that comes through and a genuine love of what you're doing. And I think that is one of the most important things when you're on social media. It's not about the glitz and the packaging. It's about the story and the humanity. Yeah, and you know, I know the audience wants to be entertained, but our, our main thing is, no, it, it's got to be music that's played from the heart and it's actually played. It's no overdubs. We're not, you know, we're the musicians doing this. Um, and it means a lot. Just like what Amy has brought up, she introduced me to an artist that I wouldn't have ever went to see, and she introduced me to Shaky Graves, and what a great talent. Um, Rolling Bones, if you hear, go, go listen to that song. Amazing live, but he, uh, that's just it. There's certain things that you'll hear artists do, and they're, they're going to touch you or strike a chord with you. And I mean, hopefully, you know, we can be in that wheelhouse. The, the, the thing with our catalog is, is uh, critics have said that like our first album was, it sounded like a bunch of singles. But to me, that was also a compliment because it shows the diversity and how many genres we can play in. And that's just it. We didn't want to be nailed down. And I think the worst part is, is falling back. And unfortunately, 
the Nickelback uh, syndrome. You know, we don't want every song sounding the same. That's no, we don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, they're, they've had great success, but boy, their music does sound every song is like, oh, that's Nickelback, up, oh, that's Nickelback. Yeah, it totally comes on. And I think, you know, when you listen to the three singles, which we have one coming out here in March, uh, the, the latest one that will be out, every song is different. And they're all different from being serious to having a playful nature to them. And that's just it to me. Music should be something that gets your mind off of the serious things to where uh, you can come home and put it on and, and relax. That's it's storytelling, it's narrative, and it's uh, it's beauty and it's art. And that's uh, that's the magic of it. How has it been watching your audience grow? I just, I'll be honest. We we made the first album when Stu and I sat down to talk about the project. We wanted to do it for us. And it was more of a thing of, hey, let's leave this for posterity. And you know, we've always wanted to record something and have our songs out there. Uh, it was a whole nother level, though, when we put stuff out and all of a sudden people started listening. Um, I didn't anticipate it, you know, and again, it's kind of where uh, Stu had left things. You think, you know, well, we're not going to be that vibrant to a newer audience, but that's just it. We're finding that we have this caveat of our audience being between 30 and 60, but yet we have kids that will listen to us in high school and I'm getting older folks older than 60 that listen to us. My parents enjoy us. So, well, they kind of have to. But <laughs> anyway, they do. So My mom's listening to the show. She's critiquing me. Uh, yeah. She's used to watching me up there conducting an orchestra or a choir and today uh, she's like, you know, since COVID stopped all that for a little while, you know, the podcast thing is, is, is taking that creative role for me and I get to talk to really exciting people like yourself. Well, thank you. And the parents listening, that's, a, that's a, always special. Well, and without them, that's that my plug for both of us. We both can say that. If, if it wouldn't have been for the encouragement with them and what they've done, um, I put that in the liner notes on the first album. Uh, they bought me my first guitar. So without them, it wouldn't have been uh, what it was. And uh, them giving me the determination uh, to learn the instrument and uh, I already love music, but uh, that just it, it helped that much more to have that kind of backing. Having a, the group be a large number of studio musicians, how has that um, shaped what you do? And uh, studio musicians are always amazing people because they've got to, they've mastered so many different styles, and they just have to walk in and play, lay it down. Now, how has that helped the group? Well, we'll go over one of the songs that I think I had sent to you. That this is a perfect setup for it. Uh, we have a song called Jack Russell that'll be on the new album that I wrote. And uh, Tumbleweed and I had played around with the song, and it, when you go and listen to it, you'll hear his harmonica riffs in there. And we were thinking we had a void space in there, and I was thinking about doing maybe some slide guitar, adding something to that caveat. And then Mark Byerly just mentioned, what about Jim Moose Brown on piano? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be perfect. And uh, Jim came in and sat down and in his Nashville shorthand uh, dissected the song and sat down at uh, the piano and came up with what he did, came up with song and really painted that fabric that uh, goes along with Jack Russell and telling the story of a fictional bounty hunter. And I loved it. So that Jack Russell is a, a, a song with a story. Um, what's that like? You're coming up with the lyrics to that and the, this concept and then putting a musical layering on that. How, how would that come together? Well, here's the thing for me when I write. Um, a lot of times I dream lyrics. And Jack Russell is one, probably the only one so far that I didn't dream anything with it. It just, I just... My dad was watching some old westerns, some Clint Eastwood stuff, and uh, I was just playing along with some things, and um, I just remember hearing a friend talk about uh, uh, their dog that happened to be a Jack Russell, and I was like, well, you know what, maybe that might work, and Tumbleweed and I just started playing, and, and, and it fit together. It's, 
kind of like the Phil Collins studio. He just didn't have anything to plug in there. I just came up with a fictional character around that name, and we uh, built the lines up. And then Jeff came over, and we started playing it. And he's like, I don't know where you're coming up with this story, but it's going somewhere. He goes, I like it. And uh, it turned out to be a VR song. And that's the best part about playing with skilled studio musicians. They know where to do their part and when not to overstep. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's so perfect. And the best part is, is nobody takes criticism in that negative way. You know, it's, it's like, well, you know, did that work? And, and, and it's kind of interesting. You've got these great musicians. What do you guys think? What do you think? And that's the best part is getting the interaction with the other musicians, I think, together and stuff like that. But How does the song change in the studio? Uh, does it, uh, do you ever go in there with one idea and it kind of shifts and it evolves? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Second yeah. Chances did, um, which we still plan on, by the way, uh, doing an acoustic version hmm. of uh, Second Chances. Sorry, my, my, <laughs> my cocker spaniel Stella decided to play a role in tonight's show. Fantastic. We love guests. Uh, yeah, so if anybody sees this on Instagram, this is the infamous Stella right here. I expected a Jack Russell. Yeah, I know it, right? <laughs> kind of her Spaniel song. So she just had her 10th birthday and wanted to make it a yeah. So, But, uh, yeah, as far as, you know, the songs and how they evolved, like with, with uh, Second Chances, um, it was one of those things where when we got to uh, the bridge, what we originally had for a chord structure dramatically changed and uh, Mark said let's try this out just saying we're already in this key and everybody knows about the music side when you're going from your first and going to your fourth and fifth chords and what are we going to do in that direction and where are we going to branch from um, we just tried uh, some different voicings on those chords and it worked it's great to hear that these things evolve and they shift. How does live performance inform your songs? Um, there's always the studio versions, and then you, when you see bands like the Grateful Dead or these, the, the, the live um, aspect means so much to them. Have, have your songs changed as you started to perform them live? Vastly. I'll give you a for instance. If uh, people hear Scatterbrain off the first album, not nearly where I wanted to go with it. And... My analogy would be for anybody who is a deadhead out there, it's kind of like listening to Sugar Magnolia. It definitely has that strong country influence and, and the steel guitar in that song. Scatterbrain now is a clear out rock and tune with tumbleweed blowing at top levels and throwing in these intricate harmonica riffs and it makes the song really cook. And, it's one of those things where I get it. It's like we feed off of each other, and it, it and it turns out to be um, a different thing each time we play too. That's what makes music special is the people you make it with, right? It's the and each add their own and and I guess a satisfying musical situation. Each person feels valued and can give their best, and the the, the sum is so much greater than the individual parts. Oh, by far, by far. And, and, and that's just it. Um, the, the most enjoyable thing was not only having Amy write a, a, an amazing song like she did with Second Chances, um, there's our next single that's coming out is uh, I Know How You Feel. And Jeff Warner wrote that. And when he came over, he had all those lyrics down. Um, and unfortunately, it comes from a, a negative aspect. Uh, he's just finished with a divorce and that was the influence of the song but again uh you know there's so many of us that have been through it and especially in the united states over half of us have been through it, at least one uh so uh it was very poignant uh very emotional song and uh i remember just hearing it and i told him i said you know it's, it's fantastic and when i sat down to do the guitar fills I wanted something emotionally equaling to what he was delivering vocally. And that was the same thought with even bringing in an acoustic bass line for that particular song. 
Yeah, music's got that ability to uh, it allows us to connect with our emotions, both the joyous ones and the tragic ones, and that that is so important. And uh, to get that complete range of human emotion, and uh, and um, I can't wait to. I haven't heard that song yet, but I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of my favorites already too. Uh, like I said, my song is the only one so far. It's more lighthearted. Second chances is great, but it's still got that that heaviness to it and that soulfulness to me. It implies that the first chance maybe wasn't the best, and take another crack at it, right? Exactly. And then you've got Jeff's song, which is uh, just you're at those emotional dregs, and you just don't know where you're going to go necessarily. But uh, it's lamenting, you know, what could have been maybe, but at the same time, healing through the song. Fantastic. What are some of the um, what are some of the goals of the band moving forward? What are some things uh, as as the page turns and the COVID period comes to a merciful end and the vaccine comes out? What do you see for the band the next chapter? Well, first and foremost, for this year, even with where we are with the pandemic, it's finishing this album, and uh, we have some great musicians that are going to be on this album, and some delightful songs. I mean these still are working out some changes on some things but uh we have some rough demos on uh, some of the songs i'm very happy with uh i can share with you one of the titles is it's just simply and it's one that i wrote it's called be kind and uh it's like jeff said uh, uh you're basically teaching people the golden rule again the one I, uh, the the uh course in there is be kind be kind be kind do on to others and uh, you know it's just simple and simplistic and jeff's hoping that we can get onto sesame street with that song <laughs> so we'll see i'd love to sing with grover and, and cookie monster i'd be i'd be thrilled so, i had a uh, a famous opera singer um uh, he I, I worked with sam raby who was the defining base for 50 years at the metropolitan opera and i got to work with him towards the end of his career and uh, i was i was just coming up into the business and um i picked him up at the airport to do a show and that was like the highlight of my life as a young conductor and I, I i said to him i had little kids at the time i said my kids loved your work on sesame street because he sang the Carmen Aria, he sang it with the with the Sesame Street cast, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. The guy's got a great sense of humor, and he he laughed, and we were friends after that. It, it's amazing how much even on that that would stick with you like that. But that's why I said that'd be an ultimate thrill for me. I'd love to do that if we could never get to that point. <laughs> so uh, I'm reading here, just like going through your Spotify list, and. Um, uh, your 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 influences, um, it just here's a few of those: uh, classic rock, folk, blues, older country, and contemporary blues. How, how did you synthesize all that together, and um, what? How do you take style and make it your own? What do you think? What how does that influence you? What music was that you've listened to? I I mean, um, growing up again, I you know I listened to a lot of country and bluegrass, um, Patsy Cline was one of my favorites and Reba McIntyre and I've kind of I guess tried to emulate that a little bit in my singing styles and you know when you when you pair people together and you know like he was saying you know all of us being studio musicians and coming together everybody kind of brings their own style together and you see what works and what doesn't and what comes out of it is uh, just something different and you know, uh, it's just not country. It's not. <laughs> it's and, and not rock. It's no. It's, it's kind of. Else. It's kind of like the Grateful Dead. You can't really define them. And one of the guys from our state that's really coming up big right now and just got done playing at the Capitol Theater is Billy Strings. Mm -hmm. And I know Jeff Warner, our Jeff, had got to play with Billy before he uh, took off on his new stardom here, um, but. That's just it. When you go see somebody like him, you see the intricacy and, and, and the difficulty of what goes into playing these tunes. But the thing that amazes me is somebody his age with the appreciation of that older music. And with me being in the great, get into the Grateful Dead, they got me into Bill Monroe and Doc Watson and Jeff too. Jeff does a great version of uh, Tennessee stud that I love live and 
you know, that's just it. We, you know, we can go from uh, those kind of traditional signs where the audiences don't necessarily know them from uh, hearing them on the radio or a streaming service. And it's funny when they're like, man, that was a great song. I don't know how you wrote that. And it's like, neither do I, because we didn't. But it's, it's uh, introducing that music to a new, new audience and not letting that, those formats pass away. But, uh, you know, just as far as the music being that important, um, you know, a lyricist like Bob Dylan to me is hugely important. And I was lucky enough to see him even play with the Grateful Dead. And that was uh, I, his, his music. Again, I know how other artists can take Bob's stuff and do it at a different level, but uh, what a strong, and, and that's not even a, a word that he's deserving of, but that type of songwriter that can evoke that type of imagery, uh, that's what I wanted to do with things that I wrote. I read there was a Bob Dylan. Uh, there was one of the, I forget what song it was, but they one of the famous songs with the napkin with the lyrics on them. It was auctioned off for like like ungodly sum of money. I just love that uh, that he penned that on a napkin, and there it is, and it's uh, immortalized forever in all of our subconscious because the poetry has become is grabs the zeitgeist and so powerful. And it is, and again, that's he's able to connect with an audience, and you know, I just like watching. Uh, the Rolling Thunder uh, review with Martin Scorsese's revisiting of that. Uh, just the power and magnitude. And again, that was just something that they put together and went on the road with other musicians. I mean, look at the, his, uh, not only was Roger McGuinn next in with that, but he had Nick Robson on guitar. And it's amazing that they could put everything together and come out with what they did that ended up being blood on the tracks and desire. So, that's kind of where we want to be. I, I want us all to be able to tell our stories through music. And I just know that the group we've got, I trust everybody entirely in this group. And, and that's huge. I mean, it is, it's, it's a family. Um, we, we might not get together as much as we like, but that might keep us together a little bit more too. But it gives everybody that space and freedom where you know, we're not tired of each other and when we get together it's it's amazing it's like you don't want it to end let's dig into the covid period and how did covid i know you that the album was slated to be released in 2020 but covid of course i think it slowed everything down how did that change the recording process and how has that changed the working uh, the working environment for bands well i'll set this up and then i'm gonna i'll turn it over to amy too to talk about her next song um the biggest thing was is that we were able to reflect on some songs. Uh, I know Jeff had started one uh, called All On You that will be on this next album. And I changed the fills and solos on that three times. You know, they always tell you as a musician, you know, you're done, put it in the can. Uh, there were just some other things that I had heard. And that actually was, it worked out for a change. Um, same thing with his latest single, um, with, uh, I know how you feel. I had some loose ideas, but once I heard, uh, how poignant his lyrics were, I wanted a solo and fills that, that matched that kind of intensity. So it's given us time to where we didn't have that before. Uh, the negative side to it is, though, is you're not playing these songs in front of a crowd to see how they work. And that's where Jeff's experience with the outfit has really pulled things out for us, uh, where he's like, look, you know, I know this worked for us. And, you know, we did this every week for six months. And, you know, we knew what songs to line up that would be, you know, big hitters. So that's where we're, we're missing that. We're kind of going out there, you know, beyond the curtain, uh, not knowing if the songs are going to connect right away or not. Um, but that's, that's the beauty of it too. Like Scatterbrain um, doesn't connect the same way on the album as it does live. And I'm hoping that that translates, but I'll let Amy take over. She's writing a new song with uh, Von Mortimer from the outfit and 
that's definitely in that bluegrass phase that they had going. Fantastic. Thank you, David. Yeah, um, unfortunately, we haven't been able to work on it recently um, since uh, about sometime last year. Um, you know, like you said, with, with everything going on, it's it's difficult to get together. Um, but um, what what little we did do um, is is sounding really good. Um, we plan to bring in a couple other musicians on it from the outfit and uh, get everything fleshed out. But um, I really like the direction that it's going in. Um, we, we started to work on it a little together and then uh, Vaughn just has more of a the bluegrass side. So we kind of went that way with it rather than taking a, a, a rock or country approach to it. So um, it's, it's really turning out nicely. It's great to when you mix all these American genres to kind of put them in the hopper and it comes out as something new and kind of current and interesting and uh, it's always I, th I find that so fascinating. Um, and I've been blessed to I get to listen to a lot of bands these days and I really enjoy sitting down and looking for something interesting and unique. And when I came across your music, it was just so different and so special and kind of had its own kind of sparkle and wit, humor and depth. And uh, I could always spot the musicianship and that really drew me to your music right away. Well, thank you. But, you know, and, and like you were saying, it wasn't just getting that response uh, and from what you're seeing, you know, on Spotify and, and the results we've got there. The big thing is, is that's not the just the American audience. It's amazing. We've been heard now in over 200 countries. And, you know, I'm getting comments from people in all different areas. And that was the outreach I didn't expect that we'd hit. But that just shows you how strong music is, that somebody can hear something and make that connection. And those people that are getting a hold of me, they might be responding to that first song, but they're listening to more of the catalog. And uh, catalog, like more than one song, that's it's, it's thrilling. I found with a lot of the bands I really like, the first they, they, Spotify was list your top hits, so sort of say. And once I get past those five, I usually find my favorite songs after that. <laughs> and and that's the way I'm the same way. I mean, there's things that I listen to. It's like, you know, Amy had brought up. Uh, you know, we've seen the Rolling Stones together live a few times, and you know, you listen to their stuff, and of course, everybody knows like. She'll tell you, like, I'm like, oh, man, satisfaction. She's like, not all of us have seen them 30 times, Dave. You know, <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I like a song like uh, Time Waits for No One um, off of uh, Rock and Roll. And just the musicianship that Mick Taylor brought in with that voicing and hearing that uh, characteristic Les Paul of his and the way he could voice songs. Um, he takes you somewhere else on that. So Can't You Hear Me Knocking is my favorite song. So it's those kind of things. They might not be uh, the, the most common songs that people hear, but it's voicings that just, I don't know, maybe musicians gravitate more to, but it means a lot more to me. But just like what you said, it's not that I don't have appreciation for the popular tunes, but there's some of these other ones that just mean so much. Isn't that funny? Uh, how uh, did you do? You, did you know that that when you put um, second chances on, that was going to be like a just going to just kind of just launch off, or did, did you feel it, or was there any, uh, or did just did just just happen organically, and you just kind of ride with it? I'd say organically. I I, I want to hear her response. My thing was is that we had a vision of where it wanted where we wanted to go with it, but our approach on all these songs were get it down to where it sounds good to us. And th that's where the Lou Reed thought resonates with me. If it sounds good to me, we can find an audience that's going to like it as well. And But it just has to be at that level where we want to be and, and, and be as good as we can make it. And that, that's where I was happy with this song. When I heard it, I was like, I, 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 we couldn't have done it anymore. Fantastic. So what advice do you have to young people coming up in the music business today and wanting to get involved? And uh, what do you what do you what do you say to people who are starting out? What do you think? What would you tell people starting out? Play. I mean, <laughs> do, do everything you can. You know, uh, you, you've got all these 
social media outlets, you know, get up, put your stuff out there. Uh, if you if you got something inside you you want to share with people, put it out there. If you, I mean, if you have somebody that can, you know, let you play a show, do it. Yeah, I think getting out in front of the audience and, and just furthering what Amy was saying is first getting that uh, notion together and putting your thoughts down. And it's best to come up with something original. What we're just now getting into, and uh, I'm just bringing in a new crew to do this, is where we're going to be doing a lot more live streaming. I just, frankly, with my day job, have not had the time to sit down and do that on my own. So it's bringing in some people that can help me to facilitate this to get it out. And I think, you know, that's where I'm happy is we have this audience without really having enough live on YouTube. And I want to change that. And I think for the newer acts, uh, do what you can. Um, I know the copyright thing is kind of a pain, but I think Amy, I'll tell you, as far as a lot of these shows where they see these vocalists, they're covering something mm -hmm. by somebody in a unique way hmm. that draws attention to them. And I think you can do it through your own music as well. Uh, you know, it, and that's the best thing. But what she's saying is you've got to make sure, you know, you're, you're, Pass that fear to uh, go out and play in front of everybody. It's not going to be perfect. You break strings. You're going to play a wrong note. How do you get past that when you do it or forget lyrics and uh, that kind of thing? And, and they always that, say you learn when you fail. You learn more if you take it and really think about it and come back strong. And uh, everything's a lesson in life. And getting out there and, and the crucible of performance, I think that's so critical to advancing people who are artists, just getting that next level. You just have rhino skin. Because there's going to be a plenty of people that don't do this well that'll tell you you don't either, and you just need to persevere and stay the course and believe in yourself. If it's your dream, believe in yourself and do it. Well, thank you both. How can people find out more about Happy Curmudgeons and to get your latest news? How can they engage with you guys? Well, uh, our website is Happy Curmudgeons Band uh, dot com. That's one spot. Uh, Facebook, please jump, jump on Facebook. We're there. Uh, you'll find us. Just look up Happy Curmudgeons, and it's C-U-R-M-U-D-G-E-O-N-S. Uh, that is my favorite thing in uh, foreign countries is having those people try and say curmudgeon. So, <laughs> that was the other thing my friend brought up. because that's a stupid name. People aren't going to know what it is or how to pronounce it. And a lot don't, and it's made it fun. So, but finding us on Facebook, uh, one of the things what really launched us and finding popularity was uh, uh, we had a, uh, a friend of ours who was also in the music business who just brought up Reverb Nation. And uh, I never expected that to go anywhere. And we're still number one in our area. And, and we were most of last year for our genre. And we were, uh, we were the number one band in Michigan for a while on that site. But That's fantastic. Com, and, and you can find other artists other than us there that um, you wouldn't hear elsewhere. Uh, shout out to Reverb Nation because that's how I found out about you guys. Thank you. Well, thank you to you both, Amy and Dave, and continued success and continued great music. And I can't wait to see what comes next from Happy Curmudgeons. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us on Music Matters with Jason Tram. Please remember to subscribe to us on YouTube and smash that bell icon for the most up-to-date information on upcoming guests and topics. And speaking of upcoming guests, this coming Thursday at 6 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, we will stream live with Ross Minano, who is the uh, founding percussionist and, and the director of the Hope for Africa Band. He is a Ghana-born percussionist and artist, a multi-instrumentalist, and his Hope for Africa Band is lighting it up in Southwest Australia. So make sure you join us there. Thank you so much, and remember, keep music alive.